The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. I hope you're adjusting to the time change. I'm just starting to settle in a little bit myself. It was a rough week. It felt like I, I can't go to sleep at night. It's kind of challenging. Um, and so it's just, everything's off. And, and I could tell by looking at some of you, you guys have had a rough week too. But, but anyway, <laughs> it's good to see you today. I want to welcome you if it's your first time here. We're glad you joined us this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Over the years, I have uh, tried to make it a practice to seek out counsel from those who are older than I am. When I'm faced with a decision, I like to hear um, what, what they have to say. One of the, my favorite things to do was to talk to my dad about decisions um, that I was navigating through. That I just love to hear um, his, his wisdom come from him. And I've also made it a practice to uh, just to kind of overhear what people who are older than me talk about, things they say. And, and I've found um, that I, um, I value it even more now than I used to because they, they tend to be right. Um, things like, uh, I remember when I was younger, people, my parents and people older than my parents talking about my grandparents, you, you need to enjoy your youth um, because... Like, you know, things just don't stay the same. I, I play ball up here at Lifetime, and um, the things that the guys in their 20s can do, like, I just look at that and go, I'm so envious. Like, your body just won't do those things anymore. Now, partially, I'm responsible for that because I'm, I'm trying to play uh, basketball with the equivalent of probably a sack of dog food on my, my shoulders with the weight I've put on. But, but then part of that is just... Um, it's just your body just won't do what it used to do. Uh, I can remember <clears throat> my pastor one time, he, he, was, uh, he, w- he was struggling with his weight and, and trying to get it down, and I, I just like, thought that was so weird. And he said, you just wait till you get in your 40s. Indeed, he was right. Once you hit 40, it's harder to shed the weight, it just doesn't come off as easily, and, and you have to be a lot more careful about what you can eat. I, I know I, I listen to people when they say, man, when you're kids, when you have kids, enjoy them while you're young. Um, they're, they're, they're a blast, and you just need to enjoy them while they're young because it, it just goes by like, like that. And here Joel, um, who made me a father for the first time, will be 16 um, next year, and so it just, boom, it just goes by um, so fast, and and. I, I think in terms of, of, of people, I hear them often saying, you know, people in their 70s, like just, they just say, man, you just turn around and boom, you're 70. And life, the, the older you get, the faster it seems to, to go. <clears throat> That's somewhat intimidating to me because it seems like it goes by so fast um, now and, and the years just tick by so, so rapidly. And to think that as we get older, it even seems faster and faster. And so a lot of the things we listen to the older generation talk about, we need to, like, we need to listen to it and apply it to our lives as wisdom because there's a tremendous amount of value that comes from what they're saying. They're, they're, they're living it out. They've been there. They've done that. And so rather than just being the kind of people that stand away from the truth that they may be speaking, we need to be like sponges 
and soaking in that truth so that it alters the way that we're living life in, in the here and now as we're, we're living out our days and logging our time on a daily basis. So when we get to, to 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is writing these letters to this young pastor. And he's, he's a guy that has a significant leadership position in a significant church in the city of Ephesus. He's leading this church. And, and Paul's giving him a lot of um, instruction about how to lead the church and, and what ministry is supposed to look like. Uh, and we get to 2 Timothy, and um, he writes it just prior to him actually being uh, executed. And he's, he's lived a lot of life, and he ends up being executed because of his faith in Christ and his, his ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he says some more stuff in, in 2 Timothy uh, as we read it, but, but what we learn from it is Paul is, he's instructing this young preacher about life, and when we get to chapter 6, he's sort of summarizing what I see as um, what we might call a good life. How can we live a good life? And I think that's a very important question for us to answer as we're living each day and we're going through um, trying to be the people that God has called us to be, and we're we're, we're really just like logging our time and living our lives. What does it mean to live a good life? And so there are several things that I'm going to share with you from chapter 6 uh, that I think are encouraging. I find them to be encouraging because we go through these moments of ups and downs and different phases when things are going great and things uh, sometimes seem like they're not moving at all. And then sometimes it seems like that rather than not moving or not going great, we're uh, moving the wrong direction sometimes. Sometimes we feel really down. And so we look at this, and, and Paul is like, he's, he's really encouraging Timothy. And one of the things that I immediately um, stuck out to me is that to live the good life, Paul teaches us that we have to fight the good fight. Like, everybody loves a good fight, right? We want to, um, uh, and if we're in a fight, we want to make sure that we are um, being, like, we're, we're good fighters. We're doing good battle. Like, if we're fighting in a game, we want to fight to win. Um, and we want to do everything that we possibly can to make sure that we have a good showing. Well, listen to what Paul says uh, to this young preacher, thinking in terms of the context of living a good life. And he says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. And so he tells him, man, Timothy, if you want to live a good life, you've got to fight the good fight of the faith. And, and one of the things I'm immediately reminded by and spoken to about this is that to live the life as a follower of Christ is to be engaged in a battle, is to be engaged in a, a fight, if you will. This is not something that's just like easy to do. It's not something that, that's just um, where we're playing patty cake. It is a fight, and it is a fight to the finish. And so we're constantly engaging in a battle. And if, if you don't feel like, as a follower of Christ, if you don't feel like you're in a fight, then something's wrong. Like, like, you're living a life in which um, the devil has you right exactly where he wants you. So, and I can say, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I can say it with, with 20 years of ministry experience, when I first started out, I always thought that I was, we were going to kind of have a breakthrough and things were going to get a whole lot easier. And I, I've discovered after a couple of decades that it, this is just a fight. 
And as you read the New Testament, it's always a fight. Like we're always battling against a a spiritual force that is trying to hold us back. And so he tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Now, when he tells him to engage in this fight, that we look at ourselves and we go, okay, to live a good life means that I have to be engaged in a battle and I need to feel like as I live out my spiritual life, I need to feel like I'm in a fight. So if you feel that way, that's a good thing. It means you're in the game. You're not sitting on the sidelines. You're actually in a battle and you should feel like you're in a fight. And sometimes you're gonna feel like you're losing blood and and sometimes you're gonna feel like you're advancing and gaining territory. And sometimes it's gonna feel like territory is being taken away from you. And that's that's what it means to be in a fight. And, And Paul says, hey, to live the good life, we gotta fight the good fight of faith. And as part of that, he calls Timothy a man of God and he says, flee from all of this. Now, the word flee that he uses here is the word, um, the Greek word fuego, okay? Not in fuego, like you're on fire, but fuego. And it means we get our English word fugitive from it. And so I'm reminded of the great Harrison Ford movie, The Fugitive. Raise your hand if you saw that. That's a good one, isn't it? Okay, so the fugitive, like this guy is innocent. He gets framed and he's gonna be like locked up in prison. And so he, he escapes and he's, he's, he's fleeing from, he becomes a fugitive from the, the U.S. Marshals and they're trying to catch him. The local police are trying to catch him and, and he's just running. And the whole time that he's running, he's trying to leave a trail of evidence to show and justify that he is innocent. And so he's living as a fugitive in this um, life that, where he's an innocent person and he's having to prove that he's, he's right. It's, it's really a good metaphor for us as followers of Christ. We live in a world that is captivated by sin, that is ruled by um, uh, Jesus he, he even calls uh, the devil the prince of this world. And Paul uh, talks about him being the prince of the, this world, that, that it is his world that he operates, that he has a huge amount of influence. Um, there's demonic activity going on all around us, and we're, it's kind of veiled and behind the scenes. We don't realize a lot of what we're doing battle against is, is an evil presence that is trying to pull people ultimately away from God, and we're to be fugitives in that world. And he says you're to flee from all of this. So, so what is it that we're to flee from? Well, if we back up to verse 11... Um, we see, or I'm sorry, verse three, we see exactly what is it in this fight that we're to be fugitives and we're to be running and fleeing away from something. What is it that we are to be fleeing from? Well, he tells us in verse three, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil, suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And so when when Paul says in verse 11, flee from all of this, he's referring back to what he said in verses um, three uh, and following. And he says the one thing that we flee from is corrupt teaching. Like even in the beginning of the church, as it was coming out of the ground, the first generation followers of Christ who brought the church into its existence, 
they were fighting and fleeing from corrupt doctrine. And so here we are 2,000 years later, and as we fight the good fight, what is one of the things we're supposed to run from and, and be fugitives from is corrupt teaching that, that takes the word of God and twists it into something else. And so when, when you're like living your life and you're like trying to find a, a place where you're going to be a, uh, in fellowship with other believers, one of the things you want to do is test what is their view on the scripture itself. Do they believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, that the Scripture was God-breathed, that it was inspired by God, that it is how God communicates to us today, and he's left us with the Word? And we call that a high view of Scripture. And so there's a lot of ministry. There are a lot of even churches out in the world, a lot of different things. Some of them would fall into the category of cult. They don't even believe in, in Orthodox Christianity. They're so... Um, taking such liberty with the scriptures and changing it. And then some of them um, would, would just be fallen to the realm of maybe they're not, maybe they're still Orthodox Christians, but they're corrupting the teaching and it's causing problems for people because they're not able to live the good life that Paul describes. And so he says that when, when you see that, when you, um, when you feel the Spirit of God confirming that in your soul and, and you're reading the Word and you know the Word and, and those things are cropping up, be like a fugitive and run as fast as you can away from that. But not only are we to flee corrupt teaching, he goes on in verse 6 and he says that we flee the love of money. Look at verse 6. It's some very powerful teaching. It's, it's good stuff. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, now this is very powerful. Listen to what verse nine says. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Like those, those I'm gonna read it so strong, I think we need to hear it again. It's just let the word of God speak. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. What, what do those desires do? They plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Very strong thing that he's saying here is like, you man of God, flee not only from corrupt teaching, but flee from the love of money. And so we fight um, in, in this battle, we fight our flesh. We fight evil systems that distract us with corrupt teaching and the love and pursuit of wealth. And so there's, but what, what Paul is trying to say is he's saying, listen, man, there's, you're, you're gonna be tempted to pursue money. And he said, you gotta resist that. You gotta fight the good fight of faith. If you want to live the good life, you've gotta fight the good fight of faith because they're, they're, the way your flesh is and the way the system is set up is it's gonna, it's gonna cause you to want to pursue that. And he said, no, you gotta flee as a fugitive from that with all that you can. Because when you begin to pursue that, 
there are many people, he said, who have fallen into that trap and uh, they, they have experienced uh, harmful um, things that have caused them um, ruin and destruction. And so this is why we could see as we look at this, we could go, man, this is why people who have fame and fortune overdose on drugs. This is why people who are, are poor, nobodies overdose on drugs. This is why people with fame and fortune, you see that like people that you look at, you go, man, they, they have it all. Like I'm, I'm thinking of in terms of like a Robin Williams, yet he takes his life. Um, people who don't have that do the same thing. And it, it all can be rooted back to when we lose our focus and we begin to pursue other things um, that are unhealthy. And when we pursue that wealth and that fame, that richness in, in man's eyes for popularity and that richness even in our bank account, and that becomes the pursuit of our lives, it can plunge us into a place of despair and many griefs. And so he says, man, we gotta, we gotta run away from that. Now, now we're gonna correct this and say, well, can I have money? This is not teaching that you can't have money. And he picks it back up and we will too here, here a little bit later in, in the scripture. But, but he's saying, look, the, this pursuit of money will ruin your life. So like as a young person, you're going to school and you're, you're like preparing yourself for your future. Like if you, if you make your decisions based upon pursuit of wealth, it can lead you down a trail that can bring many griefs in your life. And so the Bible is certainly not saying don't prepare yourself to be able to provide yourself. It's not teaching that, but it is teaching what it is that, that, that is inside of us that's causing us to pursue something. And then he says this, he says, flee from this, flee from the corrupt teaching, flee from the love of money, but... Um, we run after something else. So he says, flee from all this and pursue the following. And he says, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And so Paul is saying, look, you, you have to understand that the way the, the, the world is and the way your flesh is and the way your inward um, nature will try to pull you away from things. And he's saying what you have to do is is you turn your back on those things and you posture yourself toward God. And as you posture yourself toward God, you pursue righteousness because you can't be righteous. The only way to get righteous, there is none righteous, no, not one. The only one that is righteous is Christ. And so in our posture turning away from these things, like the love of money and corrupt teaching, we turn our posture toward the Lord and we pursue him. And in our pursuit of him, we begin to experience righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness as we fight the good fight of faith. And so Paul is teaching us, as he's very important, Paul is teaching us is that if we stop running, sin will catch up with us. Like if you stop in the midst of the battle, it's just gonna come and it's gonna hammer you. And it's gonna, when it hits you, it's gonna cause you to turn your posture away from God and back toward these things that are unhealthy for you that will only cause grief. And so he's saying, look, fight the good fight of faith. But not only that, he goes on and he says to live the good life 
we take hold of our good confession. So we fight the good fight of faith and we, um, we, we turn away from corrupt teaching. We turn away from the love and pursuit of, of fame and money and, and we pursue God with everything in us. And in so doing, we take hold of our good confession. He says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And that's the second part of verse 12. So he says, take hold of that good confession. We hold on to what we confessed. And what is the confession? Well, it's the same confession that, he, that Christ confessed to, to Pontius Pilate when Christ was about to be executed because he was claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah, he makes a good confession, and Paul refers to it, and he tells us that we are to hold on to our good confession. And so I will say, just before I go into the Christ part of the confession, is that all of us, if we're going to live the good life, we have to make a confession. A confession of what? A confession that, that we are Christ followers. And so what was the confession that Christ made? Well, he says, Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. And he says, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever, amen. And so he says, look, God is the life giver of everything. So God is the one who has the potential to give life. And we are to hold on to the good confession, the same confession that Christ confessed to Pontius Pilate. Now, if we turn to John chapter 18, beginning in verse um, Chapter 18, verse, I'd say long about uh, 36, Jesus says to Pilate in his confession, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. And so Pilate says to him, you are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered. Now, what you have to understand, when Jesus answers this question, it means certain death. And so this is what he says. You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And so Jesus, his confession is one in which he's saying, yes, I am the savior of the world. And anybody who's on my side will claim that same truth for their lives. And Jesus's confession demonstrated that he trusted his life to the father because he knew when he confessed that he believed that he was God in the flesh, that he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that he did have a kingdom When he confessed that, he knew they were going to execute him on the cross of Calvary. And he trusted that God would raise him from the dead. And so the takeaway for us is that when we take a hold of our confession, it means that we trust God with our lives. This is why Jesus taught in the Gospels. He who tries to save his life will lose it. 
but he who loses his life for what? My sake will find it. Because why? Well, when we go back to this text in 1 Timothy, Paul says in the sight of God who, di- who gives what? Life to everything. So he gives life to everything in the midst of us making that confession. So when I say, like, take hold of your good confession, I mean that there is a time in your life, uh, your, your memory, your recollection, a time, a day when you confessed, I am a sinner in need of God's grace, I'm making confession of my sin that Jesus is Lord. I'm laying down my life. Jesus said over and over, anybody who wants to be my disciple should sit down and he should count the cost. What is the cost of being a disciple of Christ? Your life. Like your life to to be willing to lay your life down, trust God with your life to lose it for the sake of what? The kingdom of Christ, whom which Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We lay down our life on the altar of sacrifice. We give it to him. We make a good confession of our sin. Our posture is toward corrupt teaching, toward self, toward the pursuit of self for wealth and and fame. We repent, we make a good confession and we posture ourselves toward God and everything shifts in our lives and we become part of his kingdom. And he says, hold on to that good confession because God is the giver of life. And he says that to us in verse 11, with God being the giver of life, that life comes through the confession that Jesus is Lord. Okay, not that Jesus is just Savior, but Jesus is Savior and Lord, which means he begins to lead me in my life and show me what I am to do and how I'm uh, to be obedient to him. So pursuit of God is the only source of life. So we fight the good fight, we hold on to the good confession, and then I love this part, when we fight the good fight and we hold on to the good confession to live the good life, we enjoy good things. And this is where he picks back up the wealth because the Ephesian people were wealthy people. And so we go, well, this is like, man, man. you might be sitting there thinking, what the? you know, I'm not a wealthy person. Listen, by the very fact that you live in this country, you are a wealthy person by the world's standards. Like you are, we are all wealthy. Um, even the youngest of us, is wealthy compared to what a father and his family has in a third world country. And in the standards, according to who this was written to, we are all beyond wealthy. And some of us are wealthier than others, I get that. Some of us have obtained more wealth, um, but we're all wealthy. And so when, he, when we get back to this part, he's addressing these people who had wealth within the Ephesian church. And so he's already said the love of money is the root of all evil, and if you posture yourself toward that, it can bring about a lot of grief and pain in your life. So he says, don't do that. It, it is an evil thing that the, the, um, that the enemy will use as a tactic to get you to turn away from the things of God. And so now he's saying that to live the good life, we enjoy good things. And he says in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world. So that's all of us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Like, that's good, man. 
Like, like God provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So, so, so if anybody ever tells you that and, and you, you get to feeling guilty over having wealth, that is not a New Testament doctrine. That is a corrupt teaching. It is okay to be wealthy. There are many illustrations and examples of people of wealth in the New Testament and the Old Testament. So wealth in, and, wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing, but when it consumes us and the pursuit of that wealth is, is, is what we're measured by, then it becomes a very evil thing. But when our pursuit is God and we have wealth, he continues to give us all of the things um, necessary for us to enjoy. He provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so the, the idea is, is the world is not, uh, the word is not saying that wealth is forbidden. Rather, it's saying the pursuit of wealth often pulls us away from God, and that is evil. Like, like when you feel yourself making decisions, if you make a decision because you think, man, like this is good for me financially, and you never do ask the question, what does this mean for me and my posture with God? Then, then you are living according to the pursuit of wealth, not the pursuit of God. The more important question ought to be asked is, what does this mean for me in my relationship to God? And every decision ought to be about my posture toward God, even the ones that have to do with how much wealth I'm going to obtain. Because sometimes it may mean to say no to this so that I could say yes to God, believing that he will provide everything for my enjoyment, and he does that very thing. We are not money's man, we are God's men and women, okay? So the, the thing is, God gives us good things to enjoy, and we are able to enjoy them when we pursue him. And so you go, well, what about people what about people who don't pursue God and they have a lot of good things and, and it looks like they're enjoying them? I don't doubt that. Certainly they're enjoying them. But I'll tell you this right now, that if they're not pursuing God and you gave me the same things that they had, I would enjoy them more than they will. And, and even, even the case that there are a lot of people who have a whole lot more things to enjoy than I do, but they don't enjoy life as much as I do. Why? because my pursuit is postured toward God. And so whatever, um, ever, whatever he places in my life and he provides for me to enjoy, I'm already enjoying things. And so it just amps things up and, and God just kind of overflows my life with other things to enjoy because I've figured out the contentment of how to enjoy him first. And so to, to live the good life, we fight the good fight, we hold the good confession, we enjoy good things, and then we do good deeds. Look at um, what he says in verse 18. Command them, so again, talking to us, those of us with wealth, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What are they gonna take hold of? The life that is truly life. And how do they do that? Partially, they, they are people who do good deeds. The life giver, God himself, does good deeds for us, so we in turn, by a, a new nature, do good deeds for others. It is our joy and pleasure to bless other people as we are blessed people. So like, if we're gonna live the good life, we've got to be the kind of people who want to pour out blessings on other people. 
just like God pours out blessings on us. And as we bless others, we're, we're demonstrating that the kingdom is ruling in our lives. Now, this is very important. We don't bless others to try to get God to bless us. We just realize that God is blessing us, and therefore we should be the kind of people that are a blessing to others. So our, our, our motivation should never be that we're trying to manipulate God by our behavior. It should be that our good confession and our shift in life has been so dramatic and so transformative that we are just new beings that have the nature to bless other people. So here in a couple of weeks, you'll have an opportunity. On April 2nd, we're having a Mission Sunday. And so some of you know this, some of you don't, but we're involved in a church plant in Prairie Village. And so even as a young church, we've already planted, um, helped to plant a church in Africa, and we're working on our first church, participating in a church plant in Prairie Village. And so the, the, the young man... Um, Morgan is going to be with us that morning, and I think several from his launch team are coming. They're planning to launch in September, and I'm on that management team, and we meet, me and some other pastors meet with Morgan monthly to talk about his strategy for bringing this church out of the ground, and so we have committed to support them financially, and, and so last year, we, we gave them five grand, and we anticipate giving them five grand again this year, and so I'm inviting you, like I'm personally going to take some of my finances, and I'm going to bless that church plant with it, and I'm encouraging you to do the same thing. Why? Because that's, what we, that's the kind of people we should be, is people who bless other people. And so here's a group of people who believe that God has called them to plan a church, and we can come alongside of them and show them how God provides. And God has certainly provided for our ministry uh, financially, and so we want to be good stewards of what um, God has done for us. And, and so we want to do good to others. But not only that, like I want you to be the kind of people that bless your neighbors, bless the people you work with, do things for them. It doesn't mean that you have to empty your bank account. Just do something. Do something nice. Rake their leaves, okay? Like, like young people, go over and rake your neighbor's leaves without, young people, rake your parents' deeds or leaves, right? Just rake our leaves without them asking. Do good deeds. Why? Because God does good deeds for you. And, and it's just, it should be our nature to do those kinds of things, to look for ways that we might bless other people because God is so good about blessing us. And so to live the good life, we fight the good fight. We take hold of the good confession. We enjoy good things. We do good deeds. And finally, to live the good life, we must be good guardians. Look at verse 20. Timothy, he says, Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. We are the guardians of the truth. And so to live the good life, we have to guard the truth. And that, that means a lot of different things. For us as a ministry, it means that as we teach and we, we deliver things from the pulpit, the word of God in a public place like this, is that we're doing everything that we can to guard the truth. There may be others who compromise the word in order to be relevant to the culture, but we are a church that says, no, we will never compromise the word in order to be relevant. We will never compromise and change the truth of God's word. If there's only one person that, come, person that comes to this church, I will never compromise the word of God. God. Like, because why? I'm a guardian of it. 
Like this, this is sacred. The word of God is sacred. And, and my call as a minister of the gospel is to be a guardian of the word of God and not compromise it for my own convenience. But I'm a guardian of the word as a father in my, my home. And so I serve as a guardian of the word. And when I feel that my kids are doing things that contradict the word, I want to guard that. I want to help them to know that. I want to show them. I want to teach them. I want to lead them in the way of the pursuit of righteousness and how the word of God is to be guarded. I want to be able to say to them as I release them into adulthood and say, be, be, be good guardians of the word of God in your life. And go out into the world and be a guardian of the word. And so we're, we're guardians of the word at work. We're guardians of the, the word where we, where we are, are living our lives in, in our homes. We're guardians of the word with our friends and family. Now, now, we don't get into controversies and conflicts. We just have a high view of the word and we realize there's a responsibility that has been entrusted to us. And to live the good life, we must be guardians of the word. And so um, here's the big idea. It's like, this is a good life, and, and we just need to live it. And sometimes it's going to feel like you're in a fight. Sometimes it's going to feel like, man, it just feels like everything's against me. It's because you, you're in a good fight, man. You belong to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and, and there were days that things were very hard for Jesus, so much this, so that in the Garden of Gethsemane, it, it got so stressful that his sweat became as tiny drops of blood. And, and, and real medical condition under severe stress, um, it's called hematidrosis, when um, blood vessels can break in the sweat glands and we can, we can actually sweat blood. Very rare, but shows how difficult the fight became for Jesus. But he fought the good fight. He held on to the good f- confession. And why did he do that? So in order for us to be able to make that same confession and that we could have the good life and enjoy the good things and be the guardians of the kingdom and his word and his gospel. It is a good life and we have to remind ourselves. Like, like sometimes I just need to hear, hey man, the church is not exploding. And sometimes I just need to hear the Lord say, Jimmy, you're in a good fight, man. Like this community needs, it needs a church where the word of God is preached and taught. You're in a good fight. Just keep your chin up. And sometimes, sometimes I get down about things in my life and I just have to go, man, like look at the word and, and the Lord remind me, Jimmy, you're in a good fight and it's not only about the here and now, it's about the then and there and I see you fighting, Jimmy. I see you down there. And so today, maybe you're in this place and you're like, man, I... Like, I feel discouraged. I don't know if I can press through this. It feels like everything's against me and nobody agrees with what I believe in and, and I feel so alone. And the Lord would say to you through this word, you are in a good fight. Hold on to that good fight. Hold on to that good confession. Enjoy those good things that God is providing for you. Do good deeds for others and understand that you are a guardian of the legacy. Whose legacy? The legacy of Jesus Christ himself. You are a child of his and he has entrusted this to you. So it is a good life, and he calls us to live it, not only here and now, but then and there. And that is, that is good, man. Like, that is good, is that, that I know, like, I can look to Jesus, and Jesus say, man, you say, to, you say to Pilate, you're right in saying I'm a king. And he might as well have said, go ahead and execute me right now, because I'm going to build a kingdom that is going to be so amazing. 
and I'm going to invite people into it, and they're going to live this life where they're transformed, and they're no longer held captive to sin, but they live in a posture toward God, and I'm going to release them to do great works on this planet. You guys, we're in a good fight. <laughs> like, like, and, and if you're down today, just remind yourself, you belong to Jesus. You have said yes to his kingdom. Hold on to that good confession. Look around at all of the good things he has provided for you and enjoy them. Because the devil, what he will do, like, you know what, here, here, let, me get, let me give you a, this, give you a window into my soul. Anytime somebody leaves the church, it's so painful for me. Like, it just hurts. And so I go over in my mind, I start thinking, man, why, why do they want to leave? And I start thinking about this is, how is this going to impact us? We need all the help that we can get. And, and all of a sudden, the Lord says, well, look at all these people who aren't leaving. And I start looking around at all of you guys, and I start seeing all of the things that God has provided for me to enjoy. You people, God has provided in my life for me to enjoy and do ministry with. So our nature is, when things go a little wrong, we get tunnel vision and we focus on that only. But God says to live the good life. Look around. Look around at all that I've provided and enjoy that. And that's the secret to living a great life. I want you just to kind of meditate on the truth that you've heard. Where are you at in your journey? What do you need to take hold of this morning? Where is the enemy just kind of beating you up that you need to surrender to the Lord and realize that things are great? Maybe you've just been focusing on the wrong stuff. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.